everyone, you're listening to Long Story Short, a podcast that provides tactical insight on common challenges faced when building a company or career. I'm your host, Dan Fleming, an investor at Folklore Ventures. Every episode, I chat with a founder, operator, or expert to learn how they navigated a decision or challenge. The purpose is to be reliably short and hyper-targeted, to keep the conversation narrow, but provide a broad range of perspectives. By focusing on common obstacles, I hope you can borrow insight and help frame your thinking when faced with similar challenges. Let's get into this week's episode. Today's episode is part two of my conversation with Josh Vernon, CEO and co-founder of Earned, Australia's first earned wage access provider and a deeply mission-driven company focused on improving the financial well-being of employees. In part one, Josh shared his insights on the evolution of the Australian wage access market, the lessons he learned as a first mover, from early customer acquisition tactics to educating customers, and why being mission-driven is critical in an increasingly competitive market. In case you missed it, you can find a link to part one in the show notes, or simply jump back and give it a listen in your preferred podcast app. In today's episode, we focus the conversation on international expansion, and Josh shares his insights on the strategies and lessons he learned from expanding across multiple markets, including the US. We specifically hone in on the power of a decentralized launch team, who to hire, and the signals they look for in new target markets. Before we jump back into the episode, I want to give a quick refresher on the definition of earned wage access. To put it concisely, earned wage access or flexible pay simply allows employees to access income that is earned but not yet paid. I hope you enjoy the episode. Let's jump back into the conversation, starting with timing, when to launch into new markets. So Josh, Earn now operates in multiple markets, including Spain, the UK and the US. I'd love to discuss how you thought about the timing of international expansion and knowing when was the right time to launch into new markets and expand your focus away from just Australia. Um, so I have to give props as well to Wagestream, who um, is owned in the UK, um, because, and I'll speak on behalf of them and us as well, because um, they really have um, also uh, done a lot of the work in terms of international expansion. But we um, we did screw up international expansion <laughs> couple of times <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure at least I'm hopeful other founders have done the same <laughs> surely the, the, everyone likes war, war stories so true yeah. I think um yeah one thing we really underestimated is when we first started this we were like all right this is a challenge that people across the world face so we mm. built an incredible product here in Australia and we can export that to the world and that's the dream of creating a technology company the challenge with our type of technology company is that it does require a amount of local uh, locally specific um, development whether that is into payroll or payments or whatever it might be regulatory understanding so um, I think the first thing we uh, we messed up two things um, the first thing we messed up was uh, trying to go international and keeping the majority of our uh, functions centralized, either in here or in the UK. Um, and what I mean by that is keeping product and engineering and legal 
um, centralized. And mm-hmm. what that led to was um, a lack of uh, specific market knowledge of the teams in whether that be Spain or the US. So they couldn't move as fast and they were learning a whole new culture and regulatory system and having to develop products for two regions. Um, so I think, yeah, the one thing, if I look back on that period, I would say um, a highly decentralized and almost autonomous approach for each region that we now operate in is absolutely the most effective structure for our business. And I think I've chatted to a couple of others who have uh, done international expansion and they say it goes through waves of needing to centralize and decentralize and centralize again. And I think we started with centralization, but we should have started, which we're now with intense decentralization. And then over time, right now we've centralized customer support. So it's 24 seven around the globe <laughs> and perhaps then legal or whatever it might be is the next step. So that was our first failure in learning. And so what do you mean by a decentralized model? And further to that, thinking about the nuances of fintech and the different regulatory requirements across countries, what attributes do you look for in a first hire? Yeah, so again, I think um, we probably made a mistake or two on this. Um, in that, in our case, and I'm going to speak for, or I shouldn't speak for every fintech that's going um, international, but in our case, it was needing to have a GM that both understood the um, sales and go-to-market side as well as the regulatory side, so um, a broader role than purely um, sales-focused. And I think on your question about decentralization, in our first attempt at it, um, we had a number of those functions centralized, i.e. running out of the home country. So Um, Our take was, let's just get someone in who can run with the product we've got and amazing job of bringing customers on board. Um, What we learned is that you need to um, bring someone in and almost fund them in our case as if they were a startup operating in a region autonomously, but the incredible benefit of having the parent company um, or the leader in their home country to live on. The way we like to rationalize it is um, if we're in the earned wage access space and we believe in it deeply, if we were to be able to go into a new market, fund 100% of a new team and allow them to leverage all the work we've done previously like that would be an amazing investment yeah if any investor you may think differently because you're probably a far far better investor than myself but <laughs> i'm not sure about that <laughs> but, uh, like we've got a really strong con- conviction on earned wage access so it makes sense to fund mini startups which are our operating entities in other regions um, and allow them to leverage the work that we've done um you know, that wage stream's done over the past couple of um years and so what signals are you looking for in a new market? So uh, the signals that we now look for is um, uh, a number of EWA players or an EWA player doing very, very well in that market because it means that they can... So you're looking for competition? We're looking for competition, absolutely. <laughs> um, at first, again, we looked for um, the blue ocean type markets. Um, yeah. That turned out to be wrong because it meant that we had to invest... Uh, as the first provider there to educate the market, it's much easier coming in with a uh, pre-educated or partially educated market. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a marker. 
It's kind of it's kind of interesting because that point, like around fintech, where you look at um, companies such as Afterpay that just own the Australian market versus uh, the first mover internationally was probably Klarna. Haven't been able to do it as well here. But then it's almost like you flip the coin when you're moving internationally where you don't want to be a first mover, even though it seems like first movers have a stronghold over the market that they they launch into. It yeah, that seems like a bit of a an interesting one. I guess if you I mean if the the hopeful uh growth of any organization will be up and to the right and exponential Um, and for most organizations that first couple of years is really like it's hovering on that x-axis i hope i got my axis is hovering hovering on the the x-axis there Um, and that is and if you were to draw um, an opposing graph of uh, the amount of cost that you had to put into place um, in order to get uh, a little bit higher on that y-axis, it would be a significant amount of cost. So I think there's benefits in being first mover in your first market or your home market because you know that market so well and it gives you an opportunity to learn and to fail and to create the basis of what will come next. But you yeah. don't want to have to go into another market and be the organization that drags along that x-axis for so long because you've mm-hmm. already done that um so the investment isn't necessarily worth it at least that's the way um we think of it if you've educated your market you can let someone else do that because you've created everything you need mm-hmm. to hopefully pick that up and then jump in as ideally um a better provider in another market got it and then yeah that makes sense and then so as a as a fast follower you you look for competition in into a launching market. Were there any other kind of signals that you're looking for to know that that's that's the place you want to be? Yeah, um, in our, I, I mean, I guess these are very specific to earned, but um, uh, a really well developed uh, HR ecosystem which cares for supports its people, um, and a market that uh, we can provide value in. And what I mean by that is a market where there are people with the challenges that we are best at solving. So um, significant numbers of uh, individuals who are hourly paid and perhaps, although we never wish for a country to be in this situation, perhaps financially stressed so we can come in there and actually provide a significant amount of value um, to that market. And then there's a bunch of other things um, which are very specific to us, but things like um, is there a decent uh, payment, national payments rails in place? Can we transmit instant payments? What does open banking look like there? Uh, all of those more um, product type things and what does the regulatory landscape look like? So quickly jumping out of the conversation to provide some context, the next question is focused on timing and executing international expansion. You'll hear Josh reflect on lessons from two acquisitions they've been a part of and their different approaches to international expansion. The first is Greensill, a supply chain financing firm who acquired Earned back in 2020 and undertook an aggressive international growth strategy. And the second, Earned's most recent acquirer, Wagestream, a UK-based financial wellbeing platform who focused on winning markets and expanding systematically from there. Cool. So when you found the attributes for a potential expansion market, how have you thought about timing and when do you actually pull the trigger and jump into a new market? Yeah. So um, again, in full transparency with Greensill, uh, which was our previous 
um, oh no, we got this wrong. Um, yeah, I got this abysmally wrong. <laughs> I think um, there was a really um, strong and aggressive in some positive ways, some less so uh, view to international expansion and it spread us too thin. So I, I think we missed the timers um, on that one. With wage stream, they've done a much, much better job. And I think the key metric, um, are you able to... Do you feel confident that you're the market leader in your home market enough yep. so that as a CEO or founder, you're able to perhaps take a step back and allow that business to operate as if you were there 50% of the time or half the time? Yep. Um, and that's one of the key metrics because I think in the early days, organizations need your entire focus. But once you've set up that infrastructure um, to allow yourself to step back and focus on um, managing international teams. Um, that would be the, the key thing, I think, in our case. And so it's probably a bit of a difficult question to answer, but how do you define a market leader? Are there any signals that you're looking for, for example, conversion rate or organic traffic or anything like that? So I think um, organic traffic is one. Um, a, a much more qualitative one would be market perception. I think you tend to have bias that you think your organization is great, but trying to understand how others um, perceive it as well and not for ego sake, but for the sake of that organic traffic question. If someone's looking for this type of product, will they reach out to you and see you as a market leader? Um, so I think um, it's probably more of a quality but um, yeah, organic traffic of um, both partners, customers, employees, uh, all of that coming into you. <laughs> Got it. And then from a, from the point of launching in more mature markets, just because the US and UK seem to be quite ahead with regard to, I guess, fintech in general, um, how do you think about competitive differentiation there? Is this you know, a product thing? Is it you know, pricing initially? What are, what are the different factors that you think about to kind of start to get those first early wins when you launch into a new market? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to harp on about it again, but that mission, <laughs> <laughs> mission is just so, so critical to us. Um, one tactic that we've employed in uh, international markets is uh, to go in with a partner. Um, so uh, there's a partner in the US and a partner in um, Spain, as an example, where we've embedded our product in their solution. So we can essentially 5, 10, 20x our workforce if we do a really effective job of partnering with them. In our case, they're payroll and workforce management providers. Um, and yeah, so new markets are often a partner first um, type of approach. Super interesting. So you're now at a point where you're operating in multiple markets, including the US. At what point do you plan? Or is there a plan at all to slow new market expansion and purely focus on absorbing as much of the the markets that you're currently operating in? Uh, I think I think now, um, or pretty close to now for us, I think what we underestimated was the size of uh, the US market. Um, mm. Both, yeah, it just I mean the sheer size of that market uh, blows me away. I think you've got more people in Texas than you do in all of Australia, and that's just that's one absurd, absurd. Yeah. It is a so I think it is much more beneficial for us at this point to um yeah to to focus on the markets that really matter 
yeah. uh, rather than to spread ourselves too thin. There is some benefit uh, in our case when we go and speak to international customers, let's just call it Unilever as an example, to be able to say um, we service the UK, Australia, Spain, like a number of markets, and there's no other earned wage access provider on earth who does so. So uh, that is beneficial, but uh, to an extent, and now we focus. Awesome. So Josh, to wrap up the conversation, I'd love if you could share a final piece of advice for founders thinking about international expansion. So I think um, I think don't underestimate uh, how tough it is to go into a new market. I think plan to plan to spend more time and resources on that than um, you would expect to have done so in the first place and also be comfortable that you're likely going to make mistakes uh, going into that and it's all a learning journey and be adaptable enough um, to yeah to adjust as you see things go really well or really poorly uh, so that would be on the international piece awesome thanks so much for jumping on the pod i really enjoyed the convo and, and really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me no, just thank you very much for your time, mate. It's been a pleasure chatting with you throughout and, yeah, appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and you can follow the journey and related content on Twitter using my handle at DoingThingsDan. Thanks.